Welcome to another installment of Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. And today we have him back, folks. Pastor Dan Newberg has returned from Jerusalem on the Brasses, mm. from Baylor University Truett Seminary. Mm. How are you, man? I'm good. Good. I'm good. You okay? I am doing okay. They tell me, they said that apparently Sydney was uh, almost like a uh, metamorphic element because I actually appear to be and sound to be more relaxed on camera. So. I was actually just, I didn't have the heart to tell you that maybe we need to can you and bring her in. I told her that today. Yeah. And we can do that. That's a, that's an easy fix. I can be the producer on the back end. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to, I didn't have the heart to say it. I, I have the heart to say it. I th it was fun to have her. So, yeah. I mean, she, she took it to the next level. She sure did. Yeah. So, so today we continue with uh, what we do every single week. Uh, and by the way, I think we may want to consider doing something a little different. Also introducing other elements, not just the sermon, but more on that a little later towards the end of the. Okay. Of so, this. I mean, the title of this is not what we expected. And now you just dropped something I didn't surprise. expect. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> so, this is good. Yeah, now it's like, got you, man. You dropped it on me. Yeah. It's okay. okay. Um, so today we are going back over. Uh, what you preached to the congregation and our listeners online from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, which we know as a Christmas story, but it's definitely more than. So why don't you walk us through that? Just maybe I'll just start with my thoughts. Um, I'm well aware that I was bringing a message on Sunday, February 12th, two days before Valentine's Day. Uh, from a text that is otherwise regarded as a Christmas text, and frankly, one that I suspect that we um, are intimately familiar with if we have been around uh, Christian churches in any measure or any length of time, and that this is a passage that um, most often we hear or are most attuned to as narrating um, children's plays. Right, and so much of our theology of um, our Lord's birth comes from those plays, frankly. Um, and so, what I what I was concerned or burdened with uh, in encountering this text wasn't to um, be caught in this creature's quandary of you know how can I make this text relevant? I don't have to do that; it, it eternally is right. Um, but what can I do to invite? Um, the listener to to engage with it in a way that we're not accustomed to engaging with it. And sure, that mm. takes place just for the sheer fact that we're encountering it on February 12th instead of the week leading up to Christmas Day or something like that. Right. Um, but what I what I wanted to do is I is I myself uh, just engaged with the passage um, was finding myself. <clears throat> identifying with as a, as a person of this story, because I'm a person of God's redemptive story um, and finding myself captivated with what would have been expectation um, that lines the story and almost in a C.S. Lewis-esque way, I'm surprised by the hope that's here. Right. Um, yes. And so uh, the the hope that is vastly different than the expectation of this surrounding world uh, that our Lord was born into. Right. By the way, just kind of going with the hook of the C.S. Lewis uh, style, 
No wonder you quoted not the Webster's, but the Oxford Dictionary. Yeah. yeah. That's very nice. I don't know if that was intentional, but it, that's like it good. absolutely was. That was the, that was the closest <laughs> English thing I was going uh, to do to C.S. Lewis. But yeah, that's it. And so I really like how you bring, you brought, you brought us into this place of understanding what's going on where you have the expectation defined and then the opposite of an expectation, which is the surprise element. Uh, one of the things that you also led us into is, um, understanding that our understanding of peace, the way we conceive peace in this world, it's not the same way that God intends to bring about peace, nor the way that he fulfilled said peace. Sure. So why don't you, why don't we talk more about that? Because yeah, I, think, I didn't get to get in, I didn't really go down that path so much as uh, I didn't go down the path of narrating um or commenting or expositing on what God's peace is. Um, Which, I, by the way, I think it's important because uh, you and I meet people on a regular basis that don't have peace. Sure. Whether, and that's, uh, that's evidenced in a relationship with a parent, a spouse, sure. uh, siblings, uh, extended family, community at large. So w go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so what you're alluding to is in the backdrop of this, of this, um, of Luke's account of our Lord's birth is this one little factoid that I think we dismiss. And that's, um, that our Lord is born into the reign of the Roman, um, uh, uh, Caesar Augustus. And what I, what I brought yesterday was really to envelop the sense of his method of rule mm -hmm. as a personification um, of human rule. And he's one of the worst of the worst. If we think about, um, his method of going about establishing peace. Now, what, what, um, is important for us to know is that Augustus is in a line of Caesars or Kings of Rome who brought about what is historically known as the Pax Romana or the, the Roman peace. Um, the the issue with that Roman peace is that it it, it brought about peace um, it, in the manner in which we would define as the end of war through war. In other words, they beat every last enemy that they had out there, so there was no one else to fight. So the Pax Romana was they flexed their muscle and they beat everybody, and so it was peace according to whatever Roman rules said. Um, but it was one that came at the cost of bloodshed and it was one that came at the cost of many um, sacrifices of those who found themselves in servitude to to the empire. Right. Um, God's peace is altogether different than the human establishment. Of and peace. we should say praise the Lord for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I find myself wanting to maybe spend some time considering um, God's peace in the in the context and understanding of shalom, mm. um, and that is um, the the peace or the the completeness or the wholeness of God um, that that He delivers that He Himself is only able of delivering that is not. <laughs> not even consistent with um, the, the world's understanding of peace as, as I'm defining, or I think would be generally defined as the absence of war brought about through the conquering or war with others. Um, God doesn't need to, to accomplish this shalom through war. Um, this, this sense of shalom is peace in its truest sense. It is 
In fact, I almost find myself wanting to look up just a Bible definition of this and I'll, I'll keep talking while I find it. Um, but, and you can add to this too, Carlos, cause you, you have the, the Bible dictionary stuff in your head a lot better than me. Um, but it is, uh, it is a piece that, let's see here. Oh, this is, this ain't going to work like I want. Um, but it is a, a piece that is, um, one that is, and it both, I, I would start with an internal piece, which I think is the, the, the piece that is absent in those in whom we encounter that you're pointing to, um, that when we individually don't have peace, it is a sign that we are absent or missing God's shalom. Right. Um, and that is a, 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 a completeness and a wholeness that God delivers to us because or in the sense that we are made complete or we are made whole with our relationship with him. And so there's not a need that need be fulfilled or satisfied through any other means in the world that the world provides, because what greater provision is there than he? Right. Um, Anyway, do you want to add to this? No, I think you, you hit everything right on the head. That nail has been driven to the board, I think. Okay. Uh, I think for our, our listeners, um, the biggest thing I, I think we should encourage is to seek that which is true and fulfilling peace, not just temporary peace, which I think you gave a sermon about that seven months ago. I could be off on, on some of that, but you have touched on the idea of he of Jesus Christ, God himself being uh, the only source of our peace. Man, that might have been an Advent message last, like, the 2021 yeah. uh, Advent season. Yeah, because that, that was something that you drove very hard into that message, and I think it's important. And I wonder, just as a point of transition, how can we, uh, as a people of God who live in a broken world, seek out and practice being impacted and transformed by that peace. That is total completeness, total, total wholeness that we have in Christ Jesus. Um, how do we go about this? Um, I think that what we ought to do is root ourselves in the Jesus of scriptures and look to to him as the forerunner of our faith, as someone who in the midst of the miry muck of this world lived and operated with the peace of his father who is in heaven. Right. Um, and so that is that is brought about by the exercise and commitment and intention of spiritual discipline, which our Lord modeled. Um, he retreated. Uh, he, he prayed. He fasted. Uh, he studied the scriptures, all of those things. He lived in community. He mentored. Um, and so there's, there are the, the Jesus of scriptures, I think, uh, not I think, I know, gives us our greatest example to how we go about observing this, the presence of shalom or completeness or wholeness in our lives. Yeah, I like that. Connected to the, the concept of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which was through violence and death, uh, very much in contrast to the peace of God, which is God giving himself. 
I wonder how um, how can we then now understand how when when say someone like government or someone like a person in a cult following saying, "Well, I'm God," like Sister Augustus uh, would come and say and declared himself as as you mentioned that um, was it a text or was it a stela like a rock? There was a stele that was uh, off of a um, uh, an area of worship in a Turkish. Uh, in a Turkish city um, that was recovered. And there was the declaration of, of Augustus being the savior of the human race because of the peace that he brought about. Right. Which if there's, if you needed an example of propaganda, now you have one, that's what propaganda in its purest form looks like. How can we as Christians discern when our peace is coming from something else like an idol Versus when our peace is coming from the living God, Jesus Christ himself. Oh, man. Um, does it persist? Does it last? Does it st- the, the, can, it, can it withstand the greatest challenges that are thrown our way? Can it withstand the challenge of death? Um, I mean, that's, that's our final enemy if we're framing things in, in, in that language or context, right? And so uh, I, would, I would start there. Does, do we have a peace um, in, in what awaits each of us and presents itself to each of us in, in the awareness that we each are temporary ourselves. Right. Um, does the source of our peace withstand the test of time and the weight of all that we face? And if, and if our peace is not derived from Christ, everything else is going to bend, break, bow, or something along the way. Um, it will not hold up. Hmm. I like that. Some, again, I have a, a mind sometimes like Rain Man. So you, you make me think of, I believe it's in Corinthians, um, for all the elements by, by which you build this, uh, this uh, the speaking of the church and our faith will be tested by fire. And whatever is actually outlasting of the fire that is, those are pure things. Those are the things that glorify God. Yeah, Paul was quoting me clearly. Clearly, yeah. I mean, you you do have a, a Pauline esque look, so that's good. Just without the ruddy figure and the the short stature. Yeah. All right, so let's go with this then. Um, you also brought us into a place where we see the surprising element of the birth of Christ. And again, for our audience, I would encourage you to read this outside of Christmas because it, it's not just Christmas. No matter what, we should celebrate the birth of Christ all year long, not just one day, one month out of the year. Uh, but we see some very distinct elements that are not necessarily what um, most people would expect the living God, creator, of, creator and sustainer of the universe, to be born into, uh, or even to consider that he would be born as us to understand the, the totality of the human experience without missing anything, not even death. And so you quoted a song. Why don't you walk us through that? Oh, yeah. Because th- I think that's a perfect segue. Um, I got to pull the quote back up, though, so bear with me a second. You're good. You're um, good. It was a song. Uh, it was a song that uh, you actually made me aware of that I listened to um, that really captures the sense of the humility of our Lord. Um, 
in abandoning heaven's throne room and not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, as Paul tells the Philippians. That's a song called How Many Kings. And um, in, a, in part of the song, it just asks these really deep, reflective questions. And that I, I think this connects with um, maybe our idols, too. That last question you just asked. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? Mm. And the answer is... There's one. One. There's one who who can only come to mind that answers any and all of these questions, and that's that's Jesus Christ. Um, and so there's um, it's it's absolutely scandalous when you think about the depth and magnitude of the humility of our God. Um, I mean. He is the God who has spoken all things into existence. And he's chosen to go about accomplishing the redemption of creation, glorifying his son in this magnificent way through these means um, to, to do so as a exact opposite of what the world understands as an expression of power, of rule. Um, or as again, Paul tells the Corinthian church, um, he's doing things in ways that will shame the wise. Right. I think one of the things that also escapes us as we go through these chapters, um, is the present, the presence of doctrine that is so heavy in a good way and so uplifting, like the doctrine of the incarnation, the doctrine of Christology. The, the doctrine also of worship, the doctrine of, I mean, you name it. It's, 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 it's almost like even in the birth of Christ, by going from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem and then coming into this particular setup where a teenage girl betrothed to a, a boy or, or a young man, um, both of them are from the house of David. And it leads to this uh, climax, eternal climax, where we have the Christ child being born. And I wonder if we, do you think we take it for granted? Do we just gloss over things as we read, even as Christians? Yes. Okay. Now, and, and, I, and I know that's, that seems very simple, but then now, what, how, what are some practical ways that we then can overcome the, almost the naive notion of reading the narrative, thinking we understand it all, know it all? How can we truly practice certain things that you may suggest to us to appreciate the details that make for the the biggest um, discoveries of God's grace and mercy? Well, I would say the first part, the, the first answer is you've got to want to. Ooh, going to that, you've got to want to. I mean, you. there has to be a desire to search the depths of the word of God mm. um, there. In other words, and I don't want to discourage de- what I would categorize or call devotional reading, uh, meaning, you know, in the morning or the evening, I pick up my Bible, I turn to some page, whether it's um, unintended uh, or there's some uh, systematic approach that you go about it. Um, 
and just read it for, for the sake of reading. That's great. But beyond this, it's very easy to just read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world be registered and jump right to the shepherds and the angelic hosts singing and praising. Right. Um, there has to be a, a spirit-led conviction um, to go about searching the depths of the word of God. Um, I mean, we frame things as evangelical believers, uh, dis- evangelical disciples of Christ, that we have a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would, what I, how I would begin to describe what I'm saying right now is, if you've ever been in any relationship, whether it's a relationship with your parents or your siblings or someone whom you're courting, you you explore the depths of that person through inquiry. You ask them what are their likes, their desires, their goals, their aspirations, their their interests, whatever, to better understand who that person is. Right. I'm inviting us to consider in the same way how we go about understanding our Father in heaven. Mm. And we do that through searching the depths through inquiry of his word. Now he's told us everything. We don't we're not calling God into question when I use this word inquiry, but we're we're searching out who he is and better understanding who he is. And we are not also not calling for extra biblical revelation. No, right now I'm I'm no, I, I, everything I'm framing right now is within the 66 books that we know is the word of God. Right. Um, so if you want to know who God is, he's already he, he has it all here for us. Right. So there, there has to be that desire to get to know him. None different than there's a desire. There have been in all of our experiences some desire to get to know somebody else. Um, that's where that starts. Um so I'm making an appeal to Bible study, yes, but it's not just Bible study for the sake of Bible study. It's it's studying the Word of God to know who God is. It's almost um, it reminds me of a practice you have with, here with the staff, where you encourage us to make an appointment with God every day and keep it. Uh, the intentionality, as though you're building this relationship, which uh, I mean, even a, a wonderful illustration is we are the, the bride of Christ. Collectively, the church is the bride of Christ. So the bride, hopefully, if we just follow that illustration, that metaphor, the bride should have such an inclination as to know what, what makes the groom tick, what makes the groom rejoice, what makes the groom uh, heartbroken. I mean, to, to discover all the ins and outs uh, like you said, through inquiry. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that fits well even into the image of the book of Revelation and even the book of the letters to the Thessalonians and, and other churches where we are we are called as the church, the bride of Christ. So I think that's perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about the first worshipers. Okay. Because we know that when, when we think of church, and this is something that even came up with Sydney the last two weeks, is the idea that to come to church, you need to have a certain dress code. In order to come to church, you need to do a certain something to be acceptable, which, of course, we, we spoke against because that's not what we see in the Bible. And I think yesterday you touched on one of the most important segments of Scripture where we see who 
God himself sends angels to announce the birth, but also the attitude of those who came to worship for the very first worshipers of the, of the newborn king. What do you have for us on that? Um, what I would start with, I mean, man, that's, that's like, that's like just pulling a pin on a grenade, you know, and saying, Hey, we're, you know, welcome back. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would invite us again, borrowing from the last question. Um, as we're searching the depths of who God is to better know him, we've got to ask ourselves, what is he calling or commanding or instructing or demanding us to do? And what has our inherited non-biblical tradition commanded us to do? Mm. Um, so, I mean, there, depending on wherever you are in the world, um, your, your culture, your, your city, your town, your, um, ethnicity, all of these things define some sense of social, um, uh, normatives and, um, and how worship ought, ought to be and, and how you ought to dress or how you ought to look. But the Bible doesn't necessarily demand those things. It's our mm. culture that demands that. Um, and I'm in this, I'm not necessarily calling for us to just be rebel rousers and, 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 throw all that into the, into the trash can. But I think what is necessary and needful as a corrective on when we project our culture um, onto brothers and sisters in worship or in a fellowship is we ought to be extending a lot more grace and understanding and love um, than saying that, and assuming that because someone hasn't met our social standard in, in our club, that that person is some lesser Christian in some way. Right. Um, it's the angelic host who comes to the bottom rung vocation, right? It comes to the shepherds and says, hey, um, the Lord has been born. The Messiah has been born. And you'll know this if you go to a manger and find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Head that way over to Bethlehem. You'll find them. You get, I mean, I, I dare not even mention contemporary vocations so as to say that anybody is working a bottom rung, rung thing. But it is well known that shepherds were the least. Right? right. I mean, these were stinky guys that had all sorts of sheep stuff all over them. Um, and this is who the angels came to. On top of this, the Lord entrusted his only begotten son as he's adding humanity to his divinity to some of the poorest people in Nazareth of Galilee. Right. Um, they, and we know that because of the present given at the temple to present Jesus. So there's, there's much that we project into a Christian setting that's not Christian. I don't know. So let's let's say something like, um, you know, you should wear your your Sunday best type of thing. That's something you hear today, right? Right. I don't want to discourage that right that, that concept, but I want to invite us to think about my Sunday best is not your Sunday best. No. Um, 
Uh, I read something, uh, uh, something written by a widow um, who was speaking about how her life's cycle completely went amok at the unexpected death of her husband, um, who left her with four children. Mm. Um, and they were uh, every Sunday, 15 minutes early, um, and like starch shirts and pants type and dresses type of family. Um, and she's talking about how her understanding of Sunday best has had to change um, where she was telling her kids what Sunday best meant um, as she was just struggling to be a mom uh, after her husband's death. She would tell her kids, go put on your Sunday best. And her son would wear routinely a Seattle Seahawks jersey or something like that to church. For him, that was the best that he had. Right. That was what he took the most pride in. Right. I'm not saying that the jersey was an idol, but that's what made him feel like he was giving his best to God. I know that doesn't pass muster for some people when they hear a kid's wearing a football jersey to church. And if you're in our area, please don't don't wear anything with Cowboys fans and senior, right? Why not? Not the best. Oh. oh. <laughs> so we're done. Um, Sydney is now officially the, the second component of this it's podcast. Okay. Next year will be their year. Oh, man. Sydney's officially been added. Carlos's last episode. Um, I'll be the producer from now on. Um, on the background. Anyway. But you get what I'm saying. I right? see what like, you're saying. So yes. the... God came to the least of these. He invited the least of these. And for those that had, he's saying you've got to abandon these things and come to right. him. Um, all of the, the riches of the world blind and distract. Yet it's also a true thing that our churches against J the James, the half-brother of Jesus' instruction, promote the things of this world. Right. And hold it in high regard. That ought to challenge us. Maybe that's I'll button it up with that. That ought to challenge us more than it does. Right. And and by the way, you don't hear many pastors teaching out of the universal letters, like even the one by James, because they have very pointed messages, even for the churches today. So I do want to thank you uh, for guiding us through this and, and to just kind of go deeper into some of those areas that I, I thought would be beneficial to all of us, especially dealing with how we have made the church what it shouldn't be in that regard, elevating the great things in society and, and not paying attention to who God went to first. And so uh, I think that's important, not saying it's a political agenda, not saying it's a, a um religious agenda it's it's simply the gospel the way that god has disclosed it if to if, us if we believe that god can save anyone and does right. save anyone including, not every, including us including us <laughs> yeah not everyone right you've got to come to him in faith right but anyone is capable of being saved right we have to be very careful when we are creating social distinctions between those who are eligible to be saved, to be good enough to be saved or whatever that word might be. That's um, right. We, we, we are at risk. And I'm not making a first Baptist church divine statement. I'm making a, a church in, in the world statement. We're at risk of making uh, a division point that our Lord did not. And that's, that should something of a concern to all of us who are pastors uh, not to do that. 
So I think it's a wonderful way because the way we can avoid that um, is to be equipped. Right. And so this weekend we have an opportunity for uh, all of you, especially those who reside in our area. We have the second annual Equip Conference. And so why don't you share some uh, with us about that? We're having the second annual Equip Conference this weekend. And he will be speaking on how to hear the voice of God. Uh, a play on words there. It's not necessarily just uh, hackling some stuff from uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? I forget. Baptist guy 30 years ago, hearing the voice of God. Yeah. So we're not trying to steal from him. What we're doing is leading people to kind of how to engage with scripture in a faithful manner. We'll have speakers also like pa Pastor Michael Pettit from Calvary Chapel here in Divine. Petit. Petit. Oh, sorry. Petit. Michael Petit, who will be here teaching. And then we'll also have Victor Rodriguez, who is a, uh, an evangelist uh, specialist, evangelism specialist for Texas Baptist. We'll have Dr. Stephen Spivey, who will be teaching on mental health and how do we disciple people who have encountered issues with mental health. We'll also have a wonderful class by two of our own educators here at First Baptist Divine, and that'll be uh, Ashley Stricker and Gail Duffer on how do we de-escalate situations uh, with children yep. when they have high emotions uh, present in a room. And, and, and really important details. Um, bring your kiddos. We have free childcare. And free and food. Free food. And snacks. Like so, dinner on Friday, breakfast on Saturday, lunch on Saturday. Man, you have a full belly and a full heart, we pray. So, right. And so to accommodate that, we also have a missions fair going on yep. where we will have uh, Maritza Ministries coming to visit with us. This is the region in uh, the ministry that's working in Lynch, Kentucky, where the, our church, First Baptist, has gone to do ministry now for two years. Yep. And, and, and we'll be going this year, too. And planning for a third. So this is an opportunity for you to be blessed, to be enriched, and to have good fellowship. And by the way, we'll have worship both days. Awesome. So it's going to be an amazing opportunity. Uh, so you're invited. It's free of charge. Just registered. The link will be in the description below. So you can follow and put your name in and let us know how many people are coming with you so we can prepare enough food. Yep. So any other, any closing thoughts? What was the different thing? What different thing? You told me that we were going to do something different today. Oh, well, not today, but moving forward, I think we might want to consider presenting uh, not just the commentary and ex exposition, deeper exposition of the sermon, conversation form, but I know that last year we had some questions submitted by the youth that we still have, I believe. So ah. it might be good to recapture those and present them out. Yeah. Um, and if not, we can go out to the youth in, in a way to engage with them and address those here too. Cool. Okay. So not too bad. No, I mean, you dropped that Easter egg. I was wanting to know what it was. Yeah. It, okay. It was a surprise. I listened to the sermon. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I thought you were going to reveal it. That's why I'm asking. Anyway. No, no, okay. no. By the way, who won last night? You're kidding me. I did not watch it. I was mowing. You're kidding me. I'm you were not. mowing till like nine o'clock? Not until nine o'clock, but then the kids wanted to play and do other things. So my family won. That's who won my Super Bowl. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna let you be surprised. Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, they won. Okay, that's you missed surprise. a good game. Apparently, you missed a really good game, actually. Okay, I'm sorry. My kids were more important. So okay, so this was Carlos's last episode. <laughs> and now he's going to repent for missing the Super Bowl. Mea culpa, mea culpa. This is Dan Newberg, and I am Carlos Gardenio, your host, potentially. 
for the very last time. And this is Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.